0: Here we go. It's been a little while, people. Who'd have thunk this year? But that's a great song, Sing and Be Happy. And uh, last week, we kind of had a shoot from the hip sermon from uh, all the smoke. We tried to do it on Zoom. I got to say, this is much more satisfying, even if you are wearing strange-looking masks. I'm happy to see you. Uh, But a couple weeks ago, we were in Acts chapter 19, and so that's where I'd like to pick up again this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 20, if you have a Bible. So as we wrapped up the 19th chapter, there was this big disturbance in Ephesus with Demetrius, the silversmith, and he had caused these riots. And the narrative points out this volatility of religious zeal mingled with economic interests. When money's involved, things tend to go sideways, and we saw that. Uh, But we also saw this church in Ephesus. This was a church that wasn't hiding away in a building. It wasn't um, just sequestered on the side of society. This is a church that was engaged in every level with the city around it. The church in Ephesus was impacting that community. It was... Um, even creating an economic impact, and it was making waves. And a church that is on mission with God and the power of the Holy Spirit, that church is going to make some ripples, and that's going to upset some people. And the disciples of Jesus, we don't go around trying to cause trouble. That's not our goal at all. But rather, our life is so Christ focused that it cuts through all of the baloney. And. Um, overcomes the barriers that are against us and uh, we just walk away from every dead end uh, in pursuit of our savior Jesus and so we make ripples when we follow Jesus because we're suddenly not playing the world's games and the world's terms anymore Uh, with the world's resources the way the world likes to keep score with things we're playing a whole nother game Uh, Jesus warned his disciples that uh, by making him Lord, by making Jesus Lord, you're going to shake things up around you. Uh, That's why he says, Jesus says things like this, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why. The world hates you. Jesus Christ is a threat to business as usual. Jesus Christ is a threat to every barrier and dead end that keeps us from a reconciled relationship with God. From every level of society to the largest parts of our culture and our worldview all the way down to our individual heart embracing jesus christ changes things it makes waves so in acts 19 uh, we have this opposition of these craftsmen of the goddess artemis and that's just one more example of some of the reaction against what the christians are doing and what christian people are doing but now in acts 20 paul carries on with plans that he had made previously Uh, to leave his mission base in Ephesus. We know that he's been two years and three months in Ephesus at least, probably over two and a half years that he spent there. And so then now he goes to uh, carry out this farewell tour. So it's interesting. We call this Paul's third missionary journey, but he's not actually church planting with much of what he's doing here. This is establishing a new forward base in ephesus for the mission of god and the mission among the gentile peoples and uh it's a new staging point for all kinds of works but paul's role is different now it becomes not so much the front line of evangelism but it's more consolidating gains it's more encouragement of churches that are already there and already existing So it says this in 20 verse 1, When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through the area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece. So this is great, because we get to see more of the pastoral heart of Paul. Um, We always think of Paul as the guy who's Knocking over walls and, uh, you know, kicking down any barrier between Jesus and and people, and just on fire and go getter and just harsh and um, he Paul in my mind kind of has this personality. We know these kind of people that just being around them they create waves, and so you got people like this that the Lord can really use. But I've heard them. Re- this is kind of the personality of. People that you may refer to as a bulldozer, they go through, and then other people come along and they kind of smooth over the ripples that they have that, they, that have been made. And so I think of Paul that way a lot of times. He just is a guy who cuts through a lot of the baloney. And now we see a, a different kind of mission and a different kind of role, and I think it's a lot of fun. So Paul's encouragement of these. Uh, young churches. This is all part of the process of discipleship. Those who have been a part of this church for the longest time, we need to hear your voice of encouragement. Some of you guys have been here a very long time. Some of us who are newer, we need your words of wisdom. We need your words of encouragement. Uh, The voices that call our younger generations to grow in their relationship with the Lord and realize their gifting and their potential in the Lord. And so that's what Paul is doing right now. He's going around to these churches in in Macedonia and Greece, and he's saying, you guys are doing great. You guys have got this. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's going to get you through it all. Don't give up. Don't give up. So in some ways Paul is acting like a good parent and he's transferring dependence from himself to encourage and raise up future leaders and future generations. And it's a scary thing when the generations who've gone before us aren't there in front of us with their hand on the steering wheel. But the Lord meets us in those places. And he gives us the strength we need to become the encouragers of others. Because Paul's idea is not so much that he goes and he creates this dependence on himself. Paul's a great guy. And people gain, they grow in their faith because of him and because of his words. But he knows he can't be there forever. That's why he invests so much energy and time writing these letters. And that's why his concern is not that people would be dependent on him, but that they would learn to be dependent on the Lord and learn how to listen to and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's concern. That's what he's trying to do. And I think about parenting. You know, my desire for my kids is not that they would have to depend on Alicia and I for everything forever, but they would come to a point where we can surrender them and give them to the Lord. And they will learn to depend on God in, in many similar ways that they had learned to depend on us in their life. So that's why Paul says things, there's so many scripture that say stuff like this. This is why Paul says things like in Philippians. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. This is this encouragement that we're doing, uh, uh, this is all part of the process of discipleship. And this is a big part of why church is so important. And when we, when we walk away from church to try to pursue an individual spirituality... Uh, in many ways what we've been forced to do for months on end. Um, We are moving ourselves away from godly presence of others who model for us what dependence on Jesus looks like. We rub elbows here with others who teach us what, what walking with the Lord looks like from those who are our age in our peer group to those who are older than us to our youngest children. They have lessons to teach us and encouragement to give us that is only going to come in the fellowship of a community together. We're modeling for each other what dependence on God and Jesus looks like. We're modeling for each other what it looks like to trust in the power and the resources of the kingdom of God. And this is the kind of encouragement Paul's doing now with these churches. So it says he stayed in Greece for about three months, we know, because the Jews made a plot against him just as he was about to sail for Syria. So he decided to go back through Macedonia. So there's all of these kinds of movements that are, that are taking place. So just like in Acts chapter 19, now we find more waves of opposition. Now this time it's Jews who are organized and their plots to do harm to Paul, to get rid of this guy. They're actively pursuing ways to go after him and catch him. But Paul and the disciples are not unaware of this, and so they just change their travel plans. They just change directions, literally. So he was accompanied by Sopater, son of... Uh, Pfeith? Per, Perhus? How would you say that? So whatever that dad's name is from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. So uh, let me look on a map to kind of see an idea of where these guys are coming from. So you see over in Macedonia, do you see Berea on the map on the left-hand side, about, you know, the upper corner? So Berea, that's one of our guys. Thessalonica, you see Thessalonica north of Berea. Derby is all the way over kind of from the beginning of his missionary journey. Timothy, we know, was from Lystra. You see Derby and Lystra over on that side. And then uh, the, regi- the province of Asia. So these guys, these last two, I think there's some other um, texts or history, that, or tradition at least, that these guys probably are from Ephesus. So you look at the geographic area of, of uh, where these guys come from. It's a huge area. So these guys come from all over the place and we'll come back to that in a minute so uh let me just kind of move us along with where paul has been so we said ephesus is the home base he's three months in the synagogue and then two years teaching in lecture halls he's kind of any who come we know he's affecting change in the whole province of asia and right there in ephesus Uh, It's while he's there that he writes 1 Corinthians. It's while he's there that, you know, their church is having so much success that it's hitting these idol makers in the pocketbook for the Temple of Artemis, which was a huge, um, it was a world wonder at the time. So then from Ephesus, he goes on this encouragement tour throughout Macedonia and Greece. And then he turns around again so it's while he's doing all of this encouragement tour, and this is kind of sweet to think of too, it's while he is among these churches, uh, he come, becomes aware of and he he writes some of his greatest works. Romans, 2 Corinthians were probably written during this, this season of encouraging the churches there. And no doubt those letters were just an extension of that work to build up disciples in Christ. So then they head over to Troas. And this is where we'll get into our story here. So uh, Paul preaches a guy to death. And uh, we'll get to look at that in a minute. So he was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus, Perhus from Berea, uh, Astarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia, these men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the feast of unleavened bread unleavened bread, and for five day, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Okay, fairly straightforward, right? But uh, there's a lot that this little bit of text can we can infer from that and figure out. There's some a little treasure for us to dig. So let me just say, first of all, um, huh? I don't know why that's black and white. Those names that are mentioned there, those are all Greek names. So all of these disciples that are on this this journey together with Paul, they have this Greek ancestry and heritage. So that's kind of an interesting thing. They are representatives of Gentile communities. Okay, second, uh, the places all of these guys are from. These guys are from a wide geographic area. And so... uh, the list of names and the locations, this shows the impact of the church. This shows the wide range of success that God's mission is having among Gentile peoples. This is wildly successful. These guys are from all over the place. And there may be others even that, that are not mentioned in this text. Later on, Titus joining the group, maybe from a different route, maybe with other people. So the third thing I want to point out is we once again in Acts find the we passages, these us and we passages, where we think this is the narrator speaking. Luke wrote this. This is the part of the journey, we think, that Luke was actually there together with them. So Luke is somehow joined up again with the group, and he's a firsthand witness as he's writing about these events that are taking place. So that's the third thing we could maybe just sail right past and miss fourth, uh, this group is nine, if if Luke is one of them too, Paul is one of them, this group is at least nine people then, nine or more guys traveling together. And although it's not mentioned here, and it's not brought up until Acts chapter 24, we know from Paul's letters, Romans and 2 Corinthians, which he writes during this time, that he was gathering a collection from the Gentile churches. Uh, for the saints in Jerusalem. He was bringing those gifts to take them to Jerusalem. So, logistically, if you got to carry around a whole bunch of money, do you want just one or two people doing that? This offers accountability. This offers representation of a whole lot of churches. This offers a whole lot of protection uh, by having a big, large group of people going and doing this together. So when they get to Jerusalem, how much of an impact is it going to be if Paul just dumps all this money there? That would be an impact. What if people they have never seen, Greeks, who have received this treasure of faith, themselves come and represent these gifts and put that down before the apostles' feet in Jerusalem? Can you just imagine the impact that would have and I think that's what's going on here finally uh, the feast of unleavened bread just a little observation Paul is still a Jew and he's keeping Jewish feasts the feast of unleavened bread was in spring about seven weeks Uh, remaining before they reach Jerusalem it takes them that long to get to Jerusalem Um, as a Jewish believer uh, in the Messiah he still is uh, celebrating these Jewish festivals I wonder how many of the Gentile Christians just are celebrating some of these festivals as well and they may have been the early church may have participated in a lot of the, the Jewish festivals in calendar But then we go on to Acts chapter 20, and there's also something significant there. It says, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. So not only is Paul keeping these traditions, but this is something new. This is the church forming its own traditions. And coming up with its own way of doing things. This is apart from Judaism. This new way is no longer just Judaism with a little Jesus sprinkled on top. This movement, the way, disciples of Jesus Christ, with all of these Gentile believers now as a part of this, they are becoming a new thing. And so what is significant about this verse? This is the first mention of, of such a gathering being on a Sunday rather than a Saturday. And this reference shows that very early on, this importance of the first day of the week for Christians. So in Mark 16.2 and Matthew 28.1, they indicate the first day of the week is the day of resurrection. So from a very early time on, Sunday becomes this special day of worship, this special day of Breaking bread, and it's its own unique Christian tradition being born. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked. On and on. Raise your hand if you've ever gotten sleepy while a preacher has talked. On and on. Dylan, not so enthusiastic, please. Raise your hand if you're not raising your hand because you don't want to hurt my feelings. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, some of us preacher types, I have to admit, as one of them now, we don't have very good economy with our words sometimes. Uh, We tend to use more words than are necessary to get the points across that we need to get across. Uh, But now I've got another excuse, too. I I can assume that because uh, you're wearing masks, if anyone falls out of their chair, it's not because I've bored you to sleep, it's because of the lack of oxygen. So. So at one of the churches I used to be a part of, um, this was fun, Uh, there was one particular elder. I don't know a nice way to say this. We'll just say this elder, he was very thorough in his prayers. And uh, he covered a lot of stuff in those prayers. Well, when he would come forward and begin these prayers, people started noticing that phones were going off and buzzing a lot. I was like, what is this about? And so whenever this elder would come to the front to say the prayers, we come to find out that the deacons were texting each other. And they were texting each other song titles from the hymn book, or from the song book. Song titles like, Take Time to Be Holy, and Sweet Hour of Prayer, Oh, here comes sweet hour prayer again. So as funny as that is, this story from Acts, this is, this is full of humor and we should take it as such. Uh, but it also cuts both ways. Uh, it's no surprise that there are some among us who have a particular talent for lulling us to sleep. Uh, my voice is good for insomnia for some of you. That's something I have to uh, admit and realize, that possibility. But when was the last time you were so excited about being together with the people of God in the church that you were willing to stay up until midnight? When was the last time we were so excited by something going on here that we just had to be together? Even if the young people are getting drowsy and falling asleep. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. So if there ever was a scripture that warns us of the dangers of a falling asleep during a sermon, this would be it. I wonder if, if this incident is where they came up with the phrase bored to death. I don't know. That's just speculation on my part. I couldn't find it in the commentaries or anything. So interesting thing happens. Paul went down and threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He is alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. So it's interesting the way Paul does this. Paul threw himself on the young man, and so when we read stories of resurrections in the Bible, this parallels resurrection accounts performed by Elijah and Elisha throwing themselves on and being face to face this is another major miracle performed that is just affirmation of god's work and blessing of the gentile mission we find this resurrection associated with peter in the jewish mission but now also the gentile mission this is a a stamp of legitimacy put on the ministry of paul and this ministry of the holy spirit among the gentile peoples So, one thing we can get from this too is, you know, no matter how boring the preacher might get sometimes, the Lord knows how to save his people from long-winded preachers. So, uh, you can be comforted by that. Apparently, the fall, the death, and the resurrection, then, they woke everyone up enough that they decided to go back upstairs and eat. So, I guess the drama of all of this, it really makes you work up an appetite so we go and get something to eat after this uh, resurrection of a young man. Why am I keep picturing Dylan falling asleep out of a window? And After talking until daylight, he left. And the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Um, this is interesting. So then they break bread in this upper room. And how does Paul reward the congregation? More talking. And this time they go all the way until daylight <laughs> the next day. <laughs> you guys have done so good with this. I'm just going to keep going. Let's, get, let's just keep going with this. So there are several things that I would like to say. First, well, just a couple things. First, let me say that in an age of constant distraction, in an age of constant noise, constant news, voices, and advertisements screaming to get our attention. You know, our, our attention spans because of what we, d- the devices we use, the way they tap into our psychology and flashing lights and likes and little bubbles with hearts and all of these things that our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. So a question then that comes from this that I think we should ask is, What do you think deeply about? What do you think deeply about? And this is an invitation for us to go beyond the multimedia junk food that we consume on whichever device, in the evenings, whatever. But what challenges you intellectually? What has come before you that you've really had to use your intellectual horsepower to chew on it? That you had to explore and dive deep and do some study. And the Bible's way of saying this is, how do you go about setting your mind on things above? So we talked about what are the voices that you let in? What are the voices that you're letting into your life? If, if we're only going for the comfort food and the low-hanging fruit and whatever gets thrown in my way as I sit in my recliner. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to do better than that. We need to think deeply on things. We need to be reflective about things. We don't just regurgitate whatever the world's throwing us without thoughtfully thinking about what are the ramifications of these things what are the things that we think deeply about you know i don't think our greatest danger is from well i'm not done with this sermon yet so we'll see the greatest danger is from me preaching so long and so dryly that you pass out and fall out of your chair i think a greater danger for us today is is that when the spirit uses me or the spirit uses someone else or the word of god is spoken or read in the classes we had that we are so distracted we're so used to just the easy stuff the pat on the back the warm fuzzies the quick feelings the we're so eat, we're so used to the intellectual junk food and we're so saturated with distraction, the danger is that we can't think reflectively or critically on things that are really important and really matter. I mean, how many of you spend time in prayer with the Lord before Sunday worship asking the Lord to show you something asking the Lord to give you the ears and the heart you need asking the Lord to help me or whoever is delivering the word up here or do you just show up some of us show up with a lot of noise and chaos just all around us and we can't can't be still from all the the shouting voices we can't you ever think about spending time with the lord before you come to be together with the lord's people in this place lord give me the right kind of heart that i need lord give me the humility i need to be in a group like this this is a humbling group just by the way we rub against each other so that's one point that I would like to draw out from this sermon uh, this text today in Acts 20 the second one is this Luke doesn't tell us anything about anything Paul says as Paul preaches on and on as Paul goes all night then after they break bread at midnight and resurrection happens and it goes all the way till morning Luke doesn't say a word about any of the content of anything Paul says says But he says a lot about the activity and the fellowship and what's taking place there. And don't miss that this is a church that is willing to be together all night long. They're so excited about what's going on. They're so in love with the Lord and each other. And they're so excited to have this Apostle Paul come and share that they're willing to go all night long. Yeah, some people are going to be bored. Some people are going to fall asleep. You know, could it be that sometimes there are things going on in our lives and around us that are a whole lot more important than a good night's sleep, than an evening's relaxation, or even our work the next day? I think the story of the church is a whole lot bigger than just the preacher and the preaching and the context. The bigger story there, what makes this fellowship so sweet? is our interactions with each other. It's our togetherness that is so crucial and so important. Our relationships and our interactions with each other at church, because it's in our relationships that we put to practice the things that we're talking about and learning. It's not that I can say a good word once in a while and that, oh, that's a good point. What really matters is you taking some of those things and figuring out what is the reality of like this in the real world, in my real life situation. In our relationships, in our fellowship, this is where we learn just not intellectual knowledge but experiential knowledge of the goodness and sweetness of what we can have in love in Jesus Christ together. And we take the goodness of what we can experience as a fellowship of disciples of Jesus together, of the encouragement that takes place, the admonition, the teaching, the challenging, just the fun and the laughter we can have, that we can cry tears together, that we can serve one another. That's the lifeblood of the church and what we're about and what we're doing. And the preaching and teaching is a part of that. But there's a life among us that is empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. And we teach each other. We learn from each other. We experience the goodness of Jesus through each other. And then we take that goodness And we let that inform the rest of our lives, whatever we're doing, the jobs that we hold, the recreation that we have, the things that we like to do. The quote I gave, if you fall in love and if you stay in love, it answers all of our questions. That fellowship that we can have, it's supposed to speak to our real lives. We're not playing the world's games anymore. We're playing a whole different game. I'm convinced that the hinge of our success as a church, it has to do with our willingness to be together and how well we learn to love each other. That's it. If we can be together and love each other well, it answers all of the other questions we might have. It's so good to be with you guys. Thanks for joining us today under these strange circumstances, spread out as we are. Hey, to God be the glory. We are still His church. We're still learning. We don't get this right. Your leaders don't think we get everything right. But we are here in faith that Jesus is going to meet us. And He's going to show us what we need to do to move forward and move on in a way that not only changes us from the inside out, is going to change this community around us we hold that hope together so whatever needs you have uh, to put the lord on in baptism for the prayers of this church you can come up and share those with me as we stand and sing together brother palmer